Well, welcome back to Spiritual Awareness with Pastor Dempora. It's a late hour on this Wednesday midweek service. I apologize. Um, I had to work late. Um, we are an Arizona 501c3 nonprofit prayer ministry. We get together uh, here on this broadcast. We join together as prayer partners, prayer warriors, and shepherds of prayers. And we pray for the lost. We pray for their salvation. We pray that the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would be spread throughout the land. We broadcast to over 31 different countries and providences around the world. And we ask that each and every one of our prayer partners uh, would spread that good news. That Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, is there next to the Father, right? Sitting at the right hand of the Father, awaiting for you to become those witnesses for Christ. And we just pray that in our prayers, Father, in the name of Jesus, that we, we could come on bended knee or however, Lord God, that you would you would always be there to accept us as your children, that you would be there to accept us as heirs to the kingdom of God, that you would be there, Lord, anytime we come in prayer, repenting of our, our, our sin and asking forgiveness. That, Lord, you would be attentive to, to listen to our prayers. That, Lord, you would teach us to go out and become witnesses for you throughout all the land. We ask that you would continue to teach, instruct, and help us to go forth to serve you throughout all the land. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'd like to turn and start our, our, our word tonight in, in Acts chapter 18. Acts 18, verse 9 and 11. Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14. And then I'd like you to turn your, your Bibles to Mark, chapter 3, verse 25. As I speak tonight, I want to speak, I, I want to I, I go clear of all politics. But I do need to say what God's put upon my heart, and that is that you know, we are in a situation in this country right now and around the world of losing what God has given us, the blessings that God has given. And I need you to be aware of that. Now, I don't speak of, of any kind of political party. I'm speaking about what's happening in the world around us right now. The freedoms that we enjoy are in jeopardy. In the Bible, within the scriptures, it tells us to beware of these things. God, this country was, was, was based on the word of God. And we're seeing that less and less. I saw just the other day that that it's only 32% of Christians now attend church in America today. That is, that's unbelievable. 32%. We're seeing inflation eating us alive. We're seeing shelves empty in every supermarket. 
We're seeing people who cannot afford to buy gasoline for their cars or their trucks. We're seeing homeless camps in every major city, every township. Where I live, you can go out next to the river and even even along the river, there's there's big homeless camps. What shall we do? We are looking at a socialist, communistic country. Our borders are in, they're not secure. People are coming across the border. Thousands upon thousands daily are entering this country illegally. And yet, nothing is being done. We see hungry children in our own country, in our own cities. Parents not being able to provide for their children. Yet, people come across our border, receive uh, access, receive social security, medical, college, and our own people do without. This is a time, my friends, when when we truly, truly need to hit our knees. We truly need that belief in God. What do we do? Turn with me, please, to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. But let me first read to you Acts chapter 18, verse 9 through 11, because tonight's message is God of the city, but the Lord of the nation. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. So that's why you're hearing what I'm saying to you today. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city, and be continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Human history, as we see in the Bible, starts in the garden and ends in a city. And I read recently that 174 million people live in the world's 12 largest city. The 12 largest cities in America. 94% of North Americans, 74% of South Americans, and 73% of Europeans now live in cities. For the first time in history, the world is more urban than rural. But beware, because people are evacuating cities all around the world because of the homeless population, because of the, the things that are going on in the cities. Crime is out of control. Over half the people in the world recently or presently live in cities. By 2050, there will be like 6.4 billion people living in different cities around the world. And their urban population will double between 2000 and 2030. And it will grow to 742 million people. And the population is growing at an alarming speed. More than 50% of, of all people will live in cities in the next 20 years. And we can't afford that. 
The Apostle Paul, in his evangelical outreach and strategy, selected cities along major trade routes. And this was likely done to expedite and spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does the population, education, finances usually abound in cities, sin and wickedness also flourish there. We're seeing that in 2023. Some of our rural people think, well, I'm going to move back to the city. It's better. It's not. Crime is out of control in the big cities. Rioting, murder, rape, assault, shootings are out of control in the big cities. Pastor, what do we do? What do we do? Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Listen carefully to what it says. If my people, who are we? We are God's people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves. What do we have to do? We have to humble ourselves before God and pray. And God says, and seek my face. What do we have to do? We have to turn from our wicked ways and seek God. Seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. Then, and only then, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And will heal their land. You see, this is what it takes. In Mark chapter 3, verse 25, it tells us clearly, listen to me, clearly, I don't care what party you're with. In Mark chapter 3, verse 25, Again, God gives us the answer. He gives us definitely the answer for America today. I want you to know God does not recognize Democrats or Republicans or independents. God does not pay attention to the party lines. So I do not speak of those tonight. But rather, I give you the answer that God gives me. And that answer is found in the word of God. In Mark chapter th uh, 3, 25, and if a house, listen to me, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. What are we seeing in today's world here in America? And for that matter, around the world. We're seeing countries that hated one another unite right now. Countries that were loyal to America are uniting against America. And America is divided amongst itself. And a house that is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If I ask you today to describe your city in one to three words, what would quickly come to your mind? Swarming streets, tedious traffic, soiled slums, soaring skyscrapers, boulevards, beggars, constant commotion, beginning 
Is that on the top of the list? Drug addiction, alcoholism, sin. Then there's the polluted air, the sleeplessness, the exciting nightlife, the, the unorganized, mindless, energetic, enormous, sprawling, <laughs> materialistic, industrious history, the noisy, primitive, advanced, modern, interesting, smoky, breathtaking, magnificent, polluted, hot, humid, and on and on and so on and so on. Surely a list of good and bad, negative and positive, would speedily be generated. There is lost, unreached, dark, homeless, hopelessness, desperate, unpromising, worldly, and wicked to add to that list. And did I even mention sinful? Doesn't it, doesn't it cause your heart to sink, to feel sick and sad? But I need you to understand there is hope. There is hope for every city, in every land around this world. Blue Tree, a music group, comes from Belfast, Ireland. And one year they were invited to sing at a praise event in, in Pattaya, Thailand. And a beautiful city is tarnished by sexual slavery and prostitution. Girls are, are bought from their parents for a price, sold into sex industry at ages as young as five years old. We have that happening in America today, <clears throat> by the way. It's, it's, is it possible for God to show his light in such a dark place? Is that possible? I just wonder. This group sang over two hours and started feeling God's heart for the city. And they began spontaneously singing, unrehearsed, the lyrics to a song, God of the City. And the words were not just for Patea. They, they are for every city, everywhere, in every land. They are for your city and for my city. And God seemingly gives a prophetic voice over nearly any city in any nation. You are the God of this city. You're the Lord of this nation. For greater things have yet to come and greater things are still to be done in this city. So I want to talk for a moment about a tale of three cities. And we want to start with Jericho. On the second day, they can, they can pass the city once and return into the camp. So they did six days, and it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times, and it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets. Joshua said unto the people, Shout, shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Joshua chapter 6, verse 14 and 16. Those are strange instru instructions. But I do like that the Lord hath given you the city. I like that. In Jericho, wickedness flourished. There was idolatry, burning of children, widespread prostitution, forcing God's mercy to give way to God's judgment. And Jericho was invincible, or so they thought. It was considered protected by the God of the Canaanites. And the city of Jericho was fortified walls over 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. 
soldiers on top of the wall could see for miles around. And Jericho was an icon of military power and was considered indestructible. Attacking and defeating Jericho would send fear tremors throughout all of Canaan. And the Canaanites had heard about the God of the Israelites. They knew he was the God of nature because of how he parted the Jordan River. They also knew that him as the God of war. And they hoped that he was not the God of the wall, the fortress God. Unfortunately for them, God proved he was the superior to all the gods of the Canaanites. To capture Jericho was pivotal to Joshua's war plan. It demonstrated that his God was the superior to all other gods that they had, all the idols. The city was taken because of the obedience to God's seemingly strange plan, to his word and to the relentless, reckless faith that they had in God's power, God's supernatural power. Now, the Bible exposition commentary, the Old Testament says, the fall of Jericho is an encouragement to God's people to trust the Lord's promises and to obey his instructions. No matter how impossible the situation may appear, so I mentioned Jericho here, not because it was reached with God's mercy and compassion, but to show that nothing in a city can stop the move of our mighty God. He is a conqueror. So I want to move on to the city of Nineveh. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. It was considered to be the most important city in the uh, Assyrian Empire. It was a rising power, and within 50 years, it would become the capital. Today, we would have called it Sin City. It was wicked. God had enough, and it was about to be destroyed. It was on a one-way street to God's wrath and his destruction. A, super, a, a surprising change of events took place which tells much of God's mercy and justice. Jonah's message of coming judgment brought change, reformation, and immediate genuine repentance. Nineveh's kings, uh, king, Jonah 3.9, knew more about the mercy and compassion of God than Jonah. Jonah forced on wrath and condemnation. That was Jonah's faith, or the lack thereof, for that city. When Jonah looked at Nineveh, he saw its wickedness, and the city that deserved God's punishment. But when God saw Nineveh, he saw much more than that. He saw people groping in darkness, in ignorance, and in need of salvation. An online article entitled, When God Cancels an Appointment, said God didn't see a city worthy of destruction. He saw individuals in need of salvation. One of the points of the book of Jonah is to make clear to us how God thinks about our cities. Jonah expressed much of God's heart for our cities and nation when he said, So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to, to Tarsha. Tar I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. He said, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive. What I predicted will not happen. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see 
what would happen to the city. That's in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2 through 5. So Jonah knew that God was gracious, that he was compassionate, long-suffering, and rich in love. He had forgotten the words to his own song from the whale's belly, Salvation comes from the Lord, in Jonah 2 and 9. The little book of evangelism in the Old Testament closes with the question, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? That's in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. Paul labored with little success and great opposition in this city, known for its idolatry, sensuality, and being a center of commerce. Some rejected the truth. Some stirred up trouble. Should Paul leave or stay? Looking at the city, it would have been easy to give up hope. But God saw much people there, and God's plan was to save many. He promised Paul success in his labors. One night, the master spoke to Paul in a dream. He said, keep it up and don't let anyone intimidate or silence you. No matter what happens, I'm with you, and no one is going to be able to hurt you. You have no idea how many people I have on my side in this city. That was all he needed to, to stick out. He stayed another year and a half, faithfully, faithfully teaching the word of God to the Corinthians in Acts chapter 18, 9 through 11. So the essence of these words is similar to the promise of Isaiah in 41.10. Fear not. Say it with me. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. To walk by faith, my friends, means to see opportunities even in the midst of opposition. A pessimist sees only the problems. An optimist sees only the potential. But a realist sees the potential in the problems. Paul did not close his eyes to the many dangers and difficulties in the situation at Corinth, but he did look at them from a divine point of view. Faith simply means obeying God's will in spite of his feelings, circumstances, or consequences. There never was an easy place for one to serve God. And if there is an easy place, it's impossible that something is wrong. Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Prosperity is the blessings of the Old Testament, wrote Francis Bacon. Adversity is the blessing of the new. Paul did not allow adversity to keep him from serving God. You see, God gives Paul the same promise that he endorsed and authorized the Great Commission. I am with you always in Matthew 28, verse 20. God still gives men and women a vision for the city and a nation, or even multiple nations. We cannot and will not be disobedient to the heavenly vision of God. Acts 26, 19. I'm sending you off to open the eyes of the outsiders so they can see the difference between dark and light. And choose light. See the difference between Satan and God and choose God. I'm sending you off to present my offer of sin, forgiveness, 
and a place in the family, inviting them into the company of those who begin real living by believing in me. Acts 26, verse 17 and 18. You see, we must speak out against the sins of the city. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Ephesians 6 and 19. Yet also proclaim God's compassion and love. In Ephesians 4, 15. The truth must be preached throughout the streets of, of all of our cities. It says so in John chapter 17. Verse 17, and in John, see, God is with us as we proclaim his word. In Isaiah 59, 19, popular reads, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord <coughs> shall lift up the standard against him. Some scholars suggest that the, the comma has been misplaced here and should read, when the enemy shall come in like a flood of the spirit of the Lord shall lift up the standard against him. You see the difference? This change is consistent with other translations of the verse that tells us that the Lord comes like a fast flowing raging flood. Hallelujah. Praise God. Even if one keeps that comma as placed in the King James Version, that is not a problem. In that case, not only does the Lord raise a standard against the enemy, he sits on the flood and remains king forever in Psalms 29.10. Either way, we win and Satan loses. Somebody lift your hands to heaven and shout amen. Glory to God. In Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 3, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He knows the end result of your faithful labors. In his harvest field, John chapter 4, verse 35. The harvest is great and the harvest is white. God has never had a problem finding the harvest, only finding willing workers to bring in the crop. Matthew 9, 37. We do not walk by sight. We are not moved by circumstances around us. We walk by faith. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Things thought impossible are now then possible for God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, faith is still the substance of what we are hoping for and the evidence of things not yet seen. You can find that in Hebrews 11 and 1. It hasn't entered into our hearts the things that God has prepared. The valid response when things get tough is to continue, not to run away from it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it tells us that. In Philippians 3 and 14, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb. So you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things for us. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon. For you don't know if the prophet will come from one activity or another 
or maybe both. Keep moving on. Tough times come, and they are coming, but we are tougher. We can make it. Jesus Christ is with us, right by your side. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 17 tells us that. With him, with Jesus, we are more than conquerors. Read it in Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Overwhelming victory is ours. <clears throat> Say that with me. Overwhelming victory is ours in Romans 8 and 37. Nothing stops you and I. The book of Acts ends with Paul in the huge city of Rome. In human eyes, he was in trouble, in prison and bound for certain death. Through spiritual spectacle, he was preaching in the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, no man forbidding him. The history book outlining the, the early blaze of fires of truth as he spread throughout the known world ends with the final word being unstoppable. God's word, the gospel, is unstoppable. The gospel was and is and always will be preached. The original Greek means that the gospel was unhindered, without hindrance, and is a term often found in legal documents. <coughs> Excuse me. It implies restraining, withstanding, and withholding. Do you get that picture? We have the restraining order against the devil. We can go into the enemy's camp and take back those that belong to us. We can possess the land. I would give you a scriptural reference for that, but there are too many to mention. It was the Lord's constant command and the battle cry of God. Possess the land. Possess the land. Why should we possess it? Because the Lord has given it to us. Someone added, many are not willing to fight. Some think possession is the promise without problems. Of course, this is not so. Possession comes through the preser preservation with purpose. Because of his promise, his presence precedes his people. God gives the promise of possession and promises to be with us. The question is, why are you taking so long to possess that which God has given us? Are we willing to let America die? Are you willing to let the freedom of this country die? What better place is there to start than right here in our city? Stay as long as God tells you to stay. Leave only when he tells you to leave. And he will be there throughout the journey. Until then, touch lives, transmit truth, and see God transform your city and this great nation. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you until he brings us back once again. <laughs>